to be another way out of that. A new holiday was born. A festivus for the rest of us. This new holiday of yours is scratching me right where I itch. Let's do it then. All right. Festivus is back. Ladies and gentlemen, are you commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. And when we're talking about a program like tonight's, really uh, a tradition like no other. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 14th annual BOA Audio Holiday Special featuring the legendary Stanton Friedman. Uh, I've said this before on these holiday shows, this is probably like my proudest achievement as a podcaster, that, that we've now gone 14 years of doing this amazing show. Um, people know how, how much I love Stan. I hold him in the highest regard. I think he's, I think he's the GOAT, folks. I think he's the greatest uh, UFO advocate that there ever was. He'll probably argue with me about that, but that's fine. But I, I believe that to be the case. Um, and it's always been my pleasure to have him on here for the holiday show. He was the first guy I ever interviewed. Uh, you know, I, I just hold him in the highest regard, as I said. Of course, He's the author of a number of books, Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. He co-wrote that with Kathleen Martin. Crash at Corona, the U.S. Military Retrieval and Cover-Up of a UFO. Flying Saucers and Science, Top Secret Magic, Science Was Wrong. Uh, did you did you co-write that one with Kathy, too? Uh, yes. Okay, that's what I thought. And uh, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers, that's the, the most latest one. Also with one. Kathy. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Uh, as you could, as you heard, he's here with us tonight. Happy holidays, Stan. Thank you so much for doing this. I know, you know, that you've retired, and there was a, a lot of people were asking, and I was wondering, I was, were we going to do this? Were we going to do the holiday show? And I'm happy to report, folks. <laughs> I called Stan up and and said, are we are we going to do this? And he, his his response was, of course. So uh, it's really a thrill to me for me that uh, that he was bullish enough to do it again. So thank you, and happy holidays, and welcome back. Let's do it again, brother. I'm ready to go. I'm uh, so glad to do a show 14 years in a row. That's that's pretty special. But uh, I'm also glad I'm still alive and around and doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we yeah, it's sad. We've lost some legends uh, in the last year, Art Bell and uh, Brad Steiger. So it's you know it's a it's a scary time to be an old school fan or an old school uh, member of the community. So it's uh, we're glad to have you here, and every year we celebrate you, you know, because you're just as a titan uh, in this field. Now let's talk about the retirement here because um, that was that was news to me 
when we did the show last year, uh, there was no inkling of that. So, so you've 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 hung no. up hung up the boots, as they say in the wrestling world. So, uh, what what what's going on with that? Well, look, I'm 84 years old, and you know I was a great baseball fan when I was younger, and uh, I've lost a couple of steps on the way to second base. Uh, <laughs> you know, I can tell the difference, and maybe some other people can't, but. Uh, it it was time. I've been doing this. I gave my first lecture in 1967. Uh, it's over 50 years ago. And so, you know, enough is enough. You're supposed to retire when you're 65 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's, like I say, it's about time. I, I'm not fearful of dying. Both my parents lived to be 90, so I got six more years to go. What the heck? What's the worry? <laughs> There you go. But I, I'm not as sharp as I was, and I can tell the difference, and it's time to leave room for the younger generation and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So some of us ought to finally say, okay, enough is enough. <laughs> but I still, look, I grew up on radio. Uh, you know, I'm old enough, so I remember when there was no television. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was fascinated by radio. Uh, we used to sit around the radio and listen to programs, you know, dramatic programs and all that sort of stuff. And so uh, how can I stop doing radio? I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need to dress up. Uh, you know, for all you know, I'm in my bathrobe. I'm not. <laughs> well, I'm in my pajamas, so it's, <laughs> so it's all good. Okay. Well, well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, radio is convenient. It's easy. The telephone still works. Uh, Alexander Graham Bell did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to give you mad respect for having the self-awareness um, and the humility to say that you feel like you've lost a step, you know, because it's like a lot of it's it's cliche, but a lot of people hang on for too long. You know what I mean? So I, 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 yes, I respect that. And, uh, you know, I still uh, I, I'm on my to-do list, I, I would like to do two books, not just one. One would be easy relatively. Uh, I've been doing a monthly column for the MUFON Journal called Perspectives yeah. for, I don't know, 12 years or so. Uh, and I'd like to do a book uh, with the columns sorted out by subject to some extent and stuff like that, but it wouldn't be a lot of work to write. In other words, just have them dig out all the columns. Right. Uh, and I, I think people might enjoy it. You know, 1,600 words at a crack, and there's a lot of them. A lot of, uh, well, 12 times 12, that's at least 144 uh, columns around. So yeah. maybe we'll throw out a few. It's not being well written. But I'd like to do a biography, too. Uh, yes. Autobiography, I guess. Uh, yes, I've been begging you I've for been... this every year on the special, yeah. Well, it's it's time, and I you know I don't want to forget the interesting little incidents, the the, the crazy things. You know, uh, I'm thinking of one today that uh, I'll never forget. I worked my way through college as a union waiter in Chicago at a good hotel. Yeah, and uh, somebody ordered lobster. We didn't always have it on the menu. And uh, I brought the lobster, and then the patron said, uh, "Would you take it out of the shell, please, sir?" And 
I had never seen a lobster before. My mother kept a kosher home. Lobster isn't kosher, you know. Oh, okay, yeah. Scallops and those things. So I went to our Chinese waiter in Chicago and saw, will you help me out here? I don't <laughs> do that. Oh, wow. I, I was embarrassed, but, uh, and he did, and everything went well. But it was one of those, you know, you really get a mo- moment where you say, I don't know what the heck's going on here. I've never <laughs> seen a beast like that before. <laughs> you know, yeah. and so uh, that, that that's not a scientific thing, but it was, uh, I, I was grateful to uh, Sal, the, the Chinese waiter, and uh, you know, the world was different back then. Uh, during the war, all the able-bodied, uh, full citizens and all the rest of that were in the military. Uh, and where do you get waiters from? Well, immigrants. And there, we had a, a Japanese waiter, a German waiter, a Chinese waiter. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was the youngest of the crowd. but uh, uh, And I learned a lot about food, too. <laughs> and, <laughs> And it was walking distance from the University of Chicago. So uh, I got a chance to serve a governor and a Nobel Prize winner. Oh, wow. and, you know, uh, it, I, it was an interesting experience. And I've always been grateful to people like Saul. For, I was the youngest guy, the youngest waiter there. And uh, we had a guy from India as well. Uh, so it was an interesting experience getting to meet all those people. Uh, yeah. In, including the ones who said the coffee's not hot when everybody else thought it was quite hot enough. <laughs> I learned a lot about people. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, how many ways can you learn a lot about people? Uh, being a waiter is one because you sure get to see a variety of them. <laughs> That's true, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. Well, I've I've interviewed you now probably uh, well more than fourteen. I've never heard a story quite like that. So that's <laughs> you've got still got stuff in the tank, and uh, you definitely please well, do this do I, this autobiography. I, I would love I would love to read it. Well, you know, one thing that intrigues me is um, how much money was spent on advanced research and development programs that people really aren't aware of. Uh, I, I was delighted to have the opportunity to work on them. I mean, I started off uh, out of college as an optimist. My dad worked for the same company for 37 years. Yeah. And my uh, my first job was with General Electric, and they had several nuclear divisions. I, I was struck with the nuclear world. And uh, I figured, hey, uh, looking at the chart, I can retire when I'm 57. You know, I was young and so forth. <laughs> And, you know, what a what a dreamer. Um, three years later, I left because I saw the handwriting on the wall, and 16 months later, the place was closed. Yeah. Uh, but, but to give you an example, when I say a lot of money was spent, in 1958, our budget at General Electric Aircraft Nuclear Propulsion Department was $100 million. That was a lot of money then. Yeah, I mean it is now too. I suppose for for most of us, but yeah, I you, you know it. what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, I worked on the nuclear rocket program, three different programs: uh, Westinghouse Astra Nuclear Lab, uh, Aerojet General Nucleonics, and uh, Los Alamos. Three different organizations successfully tested nuclear rockets. Wow. 
the Los Alamos one had a power level of 4,000 megawatts. That's twice the power output of Hoover Dam. And it was less than eight feet in diameter, you understand. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it was impressive. And they canceled all the whole nuclear rocket program. I don't know why. Nobody had guts enough to say, let's use it. Yeah, but yeah. It's one crazy. of those things, hey, I thought if you were successful, you'd go on to build bigger and better and more and all that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it was a, a great disappointment. I can imagine. Uh, if you had gone into a different realm of science, you you know, you may very well, you know, this whole life path would have been different. You know, it's like if the, the bottom hadn't fallen out of the nuclear rocket uh, field, you know, it, it, yeah. it's, it's yeah. kind of a crazy uh, twist I, I of fate, if you think about it. People said, why did you uh, leave that? How did you become a full-time lecturer? Well, I had a family to feed. Exactly. And I had started lecturing in 1967. That's 50-plus years. And uh, I enjoyed it. And, you know, my the first year or so that I was speaking out, I was still working in industry. And I was worried that somebody was going to come along and uh, put out evidence and data that I didn't know about and that would destroy everything I was saying. You know, yeah. maybe I missed the boat. And it didn't happen. I was glad. I didn't think it would, but I, I was worried about how would people react besides uh, being a performer. You know, I've been on, I've given over 700 lectures. Uh, yeah, yeah. All, all 50 states, uh, 10 Canadian provinces, and 19 other countries. I haven't wow. seen the world, but I've seen a big chunk of it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Look at man. You've had the most amazing career in this uh you know, you were talking about your dad working for the same company for all those. It's like there's no pension for UFO folks. We don't, you know. Uh, we, if we... You're right about that. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of the things that, uh, you know, I get my Social Security from when I was working in industry, really, I guess. But uh, <clears throat> there's no uh, UFO society that says, oh, Stan, you can retire now. We'll give you a nice pension. No, right. it doesn't work that way. And, you know, I, I'm still I still have a few books uh, bookings on the ledger. Uh, uh, next year, <laughs> two of them are interesting. One is the uh, uh, Mutual UFO Network 50th Symposium. Oh, nice! And I'll be a featured speaker, and I'm the only one still alive who spoke at the first one. <laughs> oh, wow! Wow! <laughs> and then there's going to be a cruise. From San Diego to Mexico, uh, and I'll be speaking on the cruise, so there'll be several speakers, not just me. But uh, And that's something to sort of look forward to. You know? Yeah, yeah, you don't pass up a gig like that, right? <laughs> That'll get you to come out of retirement, right? Get them on a, get a, get on a cruise ship. <laughs> well, yeah, and I love, love San Diego. My wife and I uh, went on our honeymoon in San Diego, and uh, so what the heck? Uh, when is that? That'll be in October of next year. I'm going to look at Go to my website and it'll list more information. But uh, now, uh, I got a question for you. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Folks can. No, it's all right. Uh, Yeah, folks, go to StantonFreeman.com. Get the info on that. That sounds awesome. I would. I would be totally down for uh, that cruise. Um, I was thinking about this today. You know, in light of your retirement, like of all the places you've been, of all the you know lectures you've given. Is there anyone that sort of like stands out as particularly, I don't know, you know, the most memorable to you? 
you know, or a specific country you might have visited um, or a specific incident at a lecture or something, um, you know, that, that is one of the more memorable moments in your, you know, amazing career? Well, one that surprised me in a sense, I got a call to appear at a, a conference in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Oh, wow. And uh, it was one of those things I stopped to think about. And uh, somebody mentioned, Stan, are you forgetting you're Jewish? And uh, yeah, yeah. are you going to Saudi Arabia and so forth? And I'd never been there, and it was a long ways away, and I had no idea what to expect. Uh, and I, I, I called with them. I called them and said, you know, is there a problem? Uh, I don't want to come to the border and then have somebody say, you can't come in because you're Jewish. Right, right. And no, there was no problem at all. And it went extremely well. They had, they had the guards around the bus, <laughs> you know, uh, not because of me, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but it was one of those that I had my qualms about, uh, Especially the thought of getting there and not being able to get in, you know, gee, that would be a, a terrible disappointment. Yeah. Uh, I, I I was interested. Uh, I had I grew up in New Jersey, and New Jersey is the most densely populated of all the states. More people per square mile. Uh, everything's close to everything else, you know, and uh, it, it's a different sort of place. I want to. I moved. To, we moved here in New Brunswick, Canada, from California, and California is just a little different from New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's very much larger, and uh, it's got more people, but fewer per square mile by a good deal. It's got some beautiful mountains. It's got beautiful scenery and all that sort of stuff. But uh, uh, the contrast got to me, <laughs> so that. Um, Oh, I've had a couple of occasions where nobody to meet me at the uh, airport. <laughs> it's a lonely feel- feeling in a place you've never been before. I can imagine, yeah. I, and I had been in touch with the, the guy who arranged things and uh, called him on the phone and was thinking, oh, no, what's going to happen now? I, I hadn't arranged to run a car or anything like that. He was going to pick me up. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we, we got together eventually. It was okay. Yeah, I can imagine uh, that you've uh, encountered all sorts of characters in this, you know, over the years putting on these events and stuff. Um, you know, because I've I've worked well, with different people, and some of them were real, <laughs> some of them were real characters, that's for sure. Well, in a different kind of experience, uh, I was at a talk in Hawaii, and my wife and I had gone there, and uh, I called the, the guy to say, "I'm available. We're going to spend four days here." I mean, Hawaii. How could you turn it down? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and I'd be happy to do any radio or television programs or anything like that. And um, oh no, no, just show up. Well, we had a, an auditorium for uh, 900 people. We had 23 people there. Ah, oh, jeez. And. I asked, well, what PR? I had given them detailed instructions of what you can do to get a good turnout and all this sort of thing, a typical press release and all that sort of stuff. And it turns out all the only publicity that was done was a full page in one of the, the newspapers with little, about the size of a wanted, about a half inch high and one column wide. Wow. And a whole page of these you went, 
understand. And yeah. That's all the publicity that had been. And you can't sell this. This is about Stan Friedman, the flying saucer physicist, in a little squib. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure, yeah. That's crazy. I mean, that's weird. I, I gave a good lecture, but I, I was disappointed that, uh, you know, 23 people, I counted them. I mean, yeah, literally. yeah. That didn't take, it wouldn't take long. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, that's wild. You wonder what they. Oh, yeah. Well. Well, you know, it was student money, and yeah. uh, I, I forget how much I made, but it certainly, uh, you think they could have spent a little money on some press, <laughs> you know, or an article or, and stuff. And my biggest crowds have been like two thousand. You know. So. Right. It's kind of a come down. <laughs> well, at least it was in Hawaii. What the hell? <laughs> I guess when it's in, you know, maybe people in Hawaii, they don't want to sit in an auditorium. It's Hawaii, you know. They it's <laughs> it's kind of kind of just want to be outside. Who knows? Um, no. Yeah. So I gotta ask you now uh, about because I I joke with you when I called you to set up the interview. I've been I've been hearing your name a lot lately. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of talk about this Ball Bazaar movie and. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. you've been kind of dragged into sort of, uh, you know, the discussion, if you will. Um, yes. I personally haven't seen the movie yet. I, I'm aware of what's in the movie. Um, you know, I'm trying Neither to play. I. You haven't I, seen the movie it, yet. I've been playing here. I'd see it, but, but it was playing only in Los Angeles the last I saw it. I don't know what happened after that. So. Uh, well, you have to, like, get it online. So. Um, Can you get it online? Yeah, yeah, that's how, oh. that's how you get it. So, oh, yeah. okay. You'll have the to have new world. somebody yeah. show you, yeah, how to do it. Um, you know, I could... Well, you know, I've talked to people. I did talk to somebody who had seen it. Okay. And had some discussion with other people. And uh, I, I'm sorry to say it, but it doesn't answer the basic questions that I've raised about uh, Lazar. He seemed, Robert Scott Lazar, he seems to be a bright guy. I talked to him once on the phone. Uh, and... The problem is, uh, because he was calling himself a nuclear physicist, a lot of people were asking me about him. So I wasn't going to give an opinion without checking on him, so I checked. I call, he's, the, the story was that he had a master's degree in physics from MIT and a master's in electronics from Caltech, two of the top uh, engineering scientific schools in the world and so uh you know i i had to check i wasn't going to say anything but <laughs> i don't want to stick my neck out and i was right, chopped right. off by providing stuff so i contacted mit i called i talked to five different people there the registrar's office they won't give you a grade point average, but they'll say if somebody they have to say if somebody attended there you know graduated got a diploma etc right right and nobody there I talked to the physics department, uh, checked the directory of the American Physical Society, the American Nuclear Society, and the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. I belong to all three, and I have director, had directories. And uh, none of them, Caltech hadn't heard of him. None of the societies was he a member of. I checked the listings of papers, you know, uh, abstracts of scientific papers, and couldn't find anything by him. So uh, I told people what I found, and people are still defending him. Uh, and you know, he did—he was 
his name is in the phone book at Los Alamos uh, Scientific Laboratory. And people say, well, doesn't that prove he was a scientist? And I say, no. Uh, typically, a third or so of the people at a place like Los Alamos are engineers or scientists. The rest are secretaries and janitors and uh, technicians and machinists and yeah. you know all kinds of people. Right, right. Uh, PR people, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the whole bit. Uh, and so I checked uh, as much as I could about him. Also, he talked about element 115. Mm-hmm. And when that was finally uh, published as having been discovered, it, it, uranium is 92, so we're talking way above uranium on the periodic table, and nobody's ever seen any really. But anyway, when the paper finally came out, uh, it turns out that uh, they produced four atoms of it by operating a big accelerator for weeks. Uh, he was talking about Los Alamos had 500 pounds of the stuff. Yeah. Now, there's a long way between four atoms and 500 pounds. Right, right. And the half-life was very short, you know, under a minute, under two minutes anyway. Yes. Uh, so there's no way you can use that. In the first place, there's no way anybody's going to make 500 pounds of this stuff. And secondly, there's no way you can use it for any kind of propulsion or energy production system or anything like that. Yeah. So what am I supposed to say? Am I supposed to hide what I find? Uh, you know, ignore my own nuclear background. Uh, I have published papers. And you, you know anybody who's gotten a degree from a respectable institution that can't find it? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I mean, uh, MIT and Caltech, uh, you know. And I, there's somebody, other people have done some checking. One looked at through all the yearbooks <coughs> at uh, MIT and no Bob Lazar. I mean, I've got diplomas. I've got, I mean, yearbooks. I mean, it's no big deal, but because uh, everybody goes to the university and typically winds up in a yearbook of some kind, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But so what I'm saying is <coughs> Lazar seems to be a bright lad, but I can find no basis for saying that he worked on back engineering UFOs. Uh, especially using element 115. And it, he did work at Los Alamos, but not for very long. He isn't in more than one uh, uh, phone book for the place. Yeah. And, you know, so what can I say? I haven't seen the movie. I, I've talked to people who have, and they, they said, well, none of the questions you raised was answered in that movie. Uh, yeah, that's so my understanding listening, of the movie, too, yeah. Well, you know, if anybody listening has seen the movie and says that, well, they showed his diplomas and they showed people professors and all this sort of thing. Oh, also, if you've got a master's degree at MIT, you need a thesis. And there's an office that keeps these, whatever the plural theses. <laughs> and, and yeah. uh, you know, show it to me. The, the library should have it there. Um, University of Chicago has copies of everybody's thesis. Uh, you know, it's standard practice. Uh, they don't go into oblivion. I mean, nobody may look at them, but they have them. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's, so, my, that's my understanding of the movie is that, uh, and again, I haven't seen it, folks, so bear with me, but my understanding is that it doesn't necessarily answer the questions that uh, that you've raised about the case, um, but, but adds some new elements uh, involving like a hand scanner that he said he, you know, used when he was there, that they had a picture of from a different lab that sort of confirmed his story in a sense. Um, I think that was sort of like the, one of the big revelations of the movie, but again, it it doesn't answer the, it, you know, it doesn't answer necessarily the questions that that you've raised, and um, and so you know, it's still it's still a very murky case. I I, I sort of take issue in a sense uh, with it's kind of I guess in the hype for the movie, it's been sort of like portrayed in some areas that that you have like some vendetta against Balbazar or something. But as far as I can tell, all the years I've interviewed you. It's like you you generally don't want to even deal with with it. I mean, people send in questions every year, and, you know, on occasion we'll get the random ball bizarre one, and, you know, you don't rail on the guy or anything like that. You, you, you've, you've always sort no. of been reluctantly share what you've, what you've learned. So it's like it, it just amazes me sometimes as people, you know, if – if, if this was an airtight case, Dan, I think that you'd be you'd be on top of the mountain with the rest of them yelling and screaming about about this case. But it's not airtight yes. uh, by a long shot. And I should add, incidentally, some people might think, well, I'm uh, too hyped with degrees and stuff. Smartest guy I ever worked for, and most talented, was a man named John Luce. He worked on nuclear fusion at Oak Ridge National Laboratory, and then he became director of research at Aerojet General Nucleonics, where I was working. And John was a a great boss, but also a a great guy. And John had no degrees at all. Grew up in the Depression. He had an honorary PhD. I mean, I didn't call that, but it was honorary (laughs) For his achievements, he did publish papers. He, and like I say, he worked at uh, Aerojet, and he worked at before that at Oak Ridge National Laboratory. And I've been at Aerojet. I mean, I I was at I worked for Aerojet for three years, but I've been at Oak Ridge several times in the nuclear and business. And uh, anybody who had his background there, and certainly got to know him, would would say this is a brilliant man. He had forty patents. Uh, right. I think it was 40, something like that. So clearly a creative guy and a world-class expert on ion sources and things like that. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not saying you've got to have a degree, but if you claim you've got one, you should have something, some way of demonstrating that. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. It's, uh, yeah, well, I've seen sort of, I've seen the argument where it's like, well, what difference does it make, uh, you know, what, but it's like, well, if he isn't telling, if he didn't tell the truth about that, it's hard for people. Some of us, I guess, other people are just ready to jump on. But it's like, it's hard for some people to say, well, I can't necessarily trust the whole story because there's already one part here that doesn't add up, you know. And I think I think people have a lot of, have a problem with that. But it's like, hey, man, that's just the way it is. Well. Yeah, I'm sorry. As a physicist, I'd like to have evidence. That's the key word. Evidence, data, facts. Not suppositions, not claims without validation. I mean, you go for... uh, I've had people ask a check on me with the American Physical Society. And they don't let you in unless you're recommended by an already existing member, and I've been a member for over 50 years, but... uh, 
so there's no reason you shouldn't be able to check on people's credentials. And like I said, John Luce, the man I said was the, uh, was my boss, but he had no diploma. And I'm not saying you have to have him, but he had accomplishment. He had patents. He had papers. He worked at a place that, that doesn't tolerate uh, fools, because uh, I, I know I've been there. Uh, had to have a clearance to get there, incidentally, to go inside and stuff. Uh, so, <coughs> uh, you know, it's, it's a shame to wind up uh, having that be a key thing. The question is, are, is Earth being visited by intelligently controlled extraterrestrial spacecraft? My answer is a very loud yes. Second question, is the government covering things up? Yes, there's a cosmic water game. I demonstrate that. I can guarantee you a laugh when I show some of the blacked out documents you get under information requests to the right, right. NSA, the CIA, for people who worry. The National Security Agency released 156 pages of top secret material about UFOs. You could read about uh, you know, a few lines per page if you were lucky. Yeah. Everything else was blacked out. Anybody can get those documents. And so the CIA, uh, we filed a Freedom of Information Action suit, a group of us called Citizens Against UFO Secrecy many years ago. And we wound up getting, uh, oh, many hundreds of pages, uh, under 800, I think, but of uh, formerly classified up through secret materials. Uh, and then later on, I filed another request uh, and got some more top secret documents. Those you might, some of them you could, <laughs> one of them said everything else was classified. You know, there were, everything was blacked out on the page. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them had six words, stuff like that. Yeah, I've seen them. I've seen, I've, I've so seen your TV appearances. So it's to demonstrate there's yeah. <laughs> a cosmic water gate is what I'm saying. Right, right. And the Air Force, people say, well, how about the Air Force, Stan? After all, they're the custodians of our airspace. They don't see any UFOs. Oh, yes, they do. Uh, they see plenty of UFOs. And, you know... Uh, let me quote you a statement I love from Project Blue Book Special Report 14. It's one of four scientific studies that I talk about. And the press release uh, says, on the basis of this report, we believe that no objects, objects such as those properly described as flying saucers have overflown the United States. Even the unknown 3% could have been identified as conventional phenomena or illusions if more complete observational data had been available. That's from an official Air Force press release. Right. And the one thing wrong with that is if you look at the data in the report, which wasn't given wide distribution, the press release was, if you look at the data, the unknowns were 21.5%. Now, three does not equal 21 and a half, or I grew up anyway. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've told us this, uh, yeah, the story of this, this crazy quote where they, like, fudge the numbers and change it all around. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. So just to put the – yeah, so we'll put, we'll put that to, to rest in a sense uh, as far as the movie goes. You haven't seen the movie yet. It uh, doesn't no. seem to answer uh, your, your central issues with his story um, – you know, and so beyond that, that's really yeah. there's really not much else we can say. I mean, you know, I don't, oh. 
I, I don't care personally for the for the vilification of Stan that's come along with this movie. I think that's really uh, kind of underhanded and not cool. But I, I, I just want to, you know, say they that. They didn't interview me, you noticed. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that was interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, um, if I made a movie that I thought upended everything that you say, I would at least have you in the movie or show you what I have so I could <laughs> get a reaction to what yeah. I found. That's how I would do it. But to each his own, um, you know, uh, uh, that, that's we'll probably just best to just leave it uh, at that, I suppose. Well, uh, let me mention something else that's changed, that completely uh, aside from uh, Lazar, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is our understanding of how many planets there are. Uh, you know, we used to think of ourselves at the top of the heap. There may be other life out there, but uh, we're on one planet, and we rule the roost, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it turns out now, with a couple of great new satellites... Uh, that there's about 1.6 planets per star in our galaxy. Yeah. Now, the galaxy has, depending on who you believe, 100 billion stars, 200 billion stars, it doesn't matter for our discussions here. Uh, So that means, uh, well, even within just 100 light years, there's 10,000 stars or 16,000 planets. I'm not saying they all have life. Of course I'm not saying that. But that's an awful lot of planets. And when you figure there are a few billion galaxies, wow. Yeah. Not only a big universe and an old universe, but there are planets all over the place. And if you allow for colonization and migration, uh, you know, it doesn't all... Not all planets have to have life developed, intelligent life developed there indigenously on its own. They can have a little colonization. Uh, all my grandparents uh, come from uh, Eastern Europe. All my grandparents. Right. But I got plenty of cousins and <laughs> who are here, not there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's always, uh, if you ever want to make. Make yourself feel old. Just remember, when I was a kid, they were, I was told there were nine planets. <laughs> so, you know. Well, you're right. You're right. <laughs> uh, and so there's a big difference between uh, 100 billion in the galaxy and nine. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, as is tradition, we're moved past that, our, our usual uh, annual sort of first, first third chat, and we'll, we'll get into the questions from the listeners. Uh, we got about ten or eleven so questions this year, um, so we'll uh, we'll we'll get rolling. First one uh, comes okay. from James Archer, and it's a complete departure. Uh, no rhyme intended there. A complete departure <laughs> from James Archer, uh, from what we've been talking about. He wants to know if you're a music fan and what you like to listen to. Well, that's a question I've never been asked on the year. There you go. Uh, yeah. Uh... I'm. I prefer classical music. I enjoy jazz, uh, and I'm not a big rock fan. But I've eased off being anti-rock <laughs> as I got wiser <laughs> and older, kind of thing. And my kids. My son was a musician, uh, and uh, so I do like to listen to classical music. And 
I got the chance, and I got. Uh, I was just looking at the pile over there. It's uh, you know over a hundred. I, I still call them records. Uh, they're not DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> Times have changed, but uh, yeah. they take up a lot of space. But uh, and I do have a, a phonograph, believe it or not. <laughs> oh wow! You know, I guess those are out of style, aren't they? <laughs> they're almost like back in style. You're like a hipster now, Stan. You're just. Trying- you turn into a, oh. a hipster, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. All right. Uh, next one comes from David McIntyre. Uh, he wants to know what books you read on esoteric subjects, uh, if you do read up on what others have to say on the UFO topic and other subjects, and do you recommend any other books than your own? Well, yeah, I, I do read uh, because I get asked questions on programs like this, and because I like to, when I lecture, and I do have uh, maybe four more lectures to give, <coughs> uh, I do read whatever I can on UFOs, whenever I get a chance to grab a book, to buy a book. Uh, some send me copies. And so... Uh, I, I'm not impressed with all of them. Some of them are depressing. Uh, why didn't he do his homework kind of thing? <laughs> and the, the noisy negativist books are really depressive. Uh, don't bother me with the facts my mind's made up is the theme of the anti-UFO books, the uh, debunker books. Uh, they dismay me. Uh, as I said before, there are four large-scale scientific studies. Uh, surely you uh, should mention those if you're going to say you're doing a scientific study showing there's no UFOs. Exactly. Deal with the evidence, darn it. That's a responsibility. You, you may not like it, but, uh, you know. Uh, and remember, uh, one of the problems in, in books about UFOs and in some discussions is that people ask the wrong question. Yeah. The question isn't, are all UFOs alien spacecraft? Of course not. The question is, are any, you know, are all atoms of uranium fissionable in a standard reactor? No, seven-tenths of one percent, you know. Right, but right. But we spend a lot of money to separate that and find that seven-tenths uh, until we get up to 90 percent. Uh, so you got to ask the right question. And do, you, do I believe every story I've ever heard about UFOs? No. Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> uh, no, of course not. And, and so you have to be careful in whatever field you're in. You know, in medicine, most chemicals won't cure a disease. They'll kill you before they cure you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But if you're sick, you know, give me the ones that will. I don't care about all those that won't. You know, and ineffectiveness isn't the test of a good drug. <laughs> now let me ask you just for by request here because it's really not the holiday season until i hear this can we get the rules for debunkers please well there are four rules for debunkers uh i have to think about them for a minute <laughs> don't bother me with the facts my mind's made up what the public doesn't know i'm not going to tell them if you can't attack the data, attack the people. It's easier, and nobody will know the difference. And do your research by proclamation. Investigation is too much trouble, and who, who can tell the difference? And so with those four rules, you can write a good anti-UFO book. 
Exactly. Send it to me and expect a favorable review. <laughs> Thank you. I had to, I had to get the four rules for debunkers in there because uh, it is it is my favorite sort of uh, I guess you could call it a Stan Friedman bit. It's one of my favorite. Uh, and and I, I I was going to jump in because I, <laughs> I I think I know them by heart myself. So I. I, uh, I I will I promise you down the line when I'm an old when I'm old and gray I will carry on the Stanton Freeman rules for debunkers so please never get forgotten. Good. And those apply incidentally not just to UFOs to all kinds of other things. Oh God, politics nowadays. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> oh, politicians aren't supposed to tell the truth, are they? <laughs> Isn't that one of the rules? <laughs> okay, next question comes from James Curley. Uh, he wants to know, do you think one of the key reasons that the U.S. government doesn't reveal the existence of UFOs is that it's concerned with UFO religions being formed around them, like extreme cults like Heaven's Gate and others? Well, I think that's one of the reasons. I think there's some obvious reasons for the cover-up. Uh, first of all, uh, how many people think of themselves as earthlings? Nationalism is the only game in town on this planet. Right. And there's nobody who speaks for the planet. Uh, as far as I can tell. I mean, the head of the United Nations is not given the authority to speak for the people of the planet, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, I, I missed something there. What, what, give me that question again. He's concerned about, well, he's not concerned. He's wondering if the government's concerned about uh, oh. Heaven's Gate-like yeah. cults, uh, you know, well, rising I up. They, I think they'd be worrying about the effect on religion, uh, you know, was Jesus one of them? It's not a trivial question. You yeah. know, uh, uh, so I, I think that, but I think the biggest reason, uh, when you sort it all out is technology. Uh, we can't put out what we've learned because of they, the enemy, whoever that might be at this time, uh, puts it together with what they have learned. Maybe they can build a system that duplicates the, in the atmosphere, propulsion system of UFOs. Yeah. And whoever does that first is going to rule the planet as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the ability to go up, down, back, forward, right angle turns, high speed, silently, uh, that's pretty remarkable for a military system on planet Earth, isn't it? I mean, we don't have anything that can act like that as far yeah. as I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're putting me in a hell of a position here, but I, I have no choice. You're not going to kill Santa Claus because he doesn't exist. <laughs> re re really, Brian? He doesn't exist? That's right. He's not real. Oh, interesting. Interesting theory, Brian. Um, who else isn't real? Hmm? You're going to tell me that Elmo isn't real? Huh? SpongeBob? Is he not real, Brian? Is, is, is SpongeBob not there at the bottom of the ocean giving Squidward the business? Hmm? And, and what about Curious George? Huh? Does he not really exist? Hmm? Is Curious George not really out there making little boats out of newspapers that he should be delivering? Huh? Educate yourself, you fool. It's the Banal of America Audio Holiday Special featuring Stanton Friedman. Happy Holidays! It's the one night of the year when we all act a little nicer, we smile a little easier, we share a little more. For a couple of hours out of the whole year... We are the people that we always hoped we would be. Have a Merry Christmas, everybody. I, 
I can totally see also kind of to what the to what uh, James is asking in a sense, where it's like I can see where, um, you know, the the powers that be, so to speak, they certainly don't want to, they don't want to give up any of their power. So that's it. it. Yeah, <laughs> if there were some kind of like higher beings here that could come and go from the planet, and they had demonstrated, you know, godlike abilities. I could imagine that people would would turn their back on on human authority and, and embrace uh you know an ET authority because uh the yeah. you know they're more powerful. Yeah, yeah, so. that, that, that's something we don't know how to handle. Giant changes in yeah. attitude about such things. Uh, Kirk Walker wants to know uh, if you give any credence to the suggestion that um, Oh Mao is an alien probe. You know that thing that came in from outside the uh outside the solar that, system? That long cylindrical strange looking beastie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was the name of it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's Ao Mao Mao or something. I I'm I'm, I'm butchering it, but it's like Hawaiian uh for, for visitor or something. I, I don't know what that is and it wouldn't surprise me if it were an alien craft. Maybe one where the captain died and it's going its own way. Who knows? But you know, that that does raise a question. Why would anybody bother to come here? And you can think of a lot of reasons, I think. Uh, maybe I should mention a few. Uh, this one may surprise people. The Earth is the densest planet in the solar system. I don't mean the people. <laughs> probably do, too. <laughs> but uh, what does that mean? Well, it means there are more heavy metals here. Things like osmium, rhenium, Protactinium. Uh, <laughs> osmium is twice as dense as lead. Oh, wow. uh, lead's pretty heavy, heavier than iron and aluminum and all those sorts of things. And, and so they may be mining engineers, you know. <laughs> uh, another one is they may be here to keep to quarantine us. Who would want us out there? I mean, look, World War II, which I still remember. Uh, we killed, we nice guy earthlings killed 50 million people. We destroyed 1,700 cities. Would anybody want us out there yeah. to re- repeat our great characteristics? You know, I, I, I think any civilization wants to be wary of surprise attacks from the unknown, from the others. And there are lots of others out there, we think. Yeah. And so... I should think, uh, especially after the, you know, you have scouting expeditions, but after that first atomic bomb, uh, and look how we've progressed. <laughs> you can call it progress if you want, but a big bomb in World War II was a 10-ton blockbuster, 10 tons of dynamite. Wow, yeah. make a big hole in the ground, I'll tell you that. <laughs> first it, first atomic bomb released the energy of 15,000 tons of dynamite. The first big H-bomb, we're talking million tons of dynamite. One stinking bomb. Yeah. Now, you can't, and no visitor, uh, the, the point, incidentally, a fusion device, an H-bomb, Fusion, I worked on a study of fusion propulsion for deep space travel in 1950, uh, 1962. That's a long time ago. Hmm. So if you got the energy, uh, away you can go. So 
like I say, I can't imagine anybody being willing to wait for the the Huns to attack, you know, before you decide to do something about it. You want to keep eyes on them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, doesn't that make sense? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the rule of government. Uh, you know, take care of your people. Right. You exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting. I heard they found a couple other of those things floating in from an outside the solar system. So I don't. Was it that that I heard they found more of? I could have sworn they did, but uh, yeah, it'll be. It's, it, it's a quandary that thing. But I remember that one because it was a weird picture of this long, I would say, cylindrical object. That yeah, yeah. That come from you know, what's it doing there? And exactly. Where'd it go? Well, yeah, I thought that was probably the most interesting part. It's like when they spotted it, it was getting the hell out of here, where it was like, well, that, if anything if anything should tell you that it was an alien probe, it got one good look at us, and then it was like, all right, I'm out of here. Forget, forget, forget <laughs> this place. Well, you know, incidentally, anybody sampling our atmosphere could find out that we've made nuclear weapons. Yeah. There, are, there are places around the planet where you can pick up the residues and so forth, Uh it doesn't take a genius to do that. Yeah. Somebody had an interesting question about that. We'll get to in a minute. Um, John Randall wants to know uh, what you think of the work of Ray Stanford, and if you've ever visited uh, him or viewed any of his UFO movie footage, photos, etc., and what's your opinion on his material? Boy, I haven't thought about Ray in a long time. I did know him. I was impressed with some of the work that he'd collected, but I can't recall a lot of the details. Uh but I would give him a plus plus rating. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Yeah. Some of these are, some of these are a little shorter than normal. Uh, Jim Sapp wants to know. Uh, this one's interesting. Now, what would you have us do right now in this latest date uh, about other worlds and crafts coming to Earth? I assume he means uh, craft because he says, of course, carry a good camera at all times and try to get witnesses during a sighting and then report the sighting. That's sort of his he answer. He answered his own question. But I guess what let me rephrase it in a way to sort of make some a little more sense where it's like, uh, all right, what, what's your advice for somebody who might spot a UFO? Well, uh, first of all, record as much information as soon as possible. The time, the direction you were looking. You may have to look at a map to figure that out. You know, mm-hmm. uh, comment about the sound, the angle above the horizon. Hold something at arm's length between thumb and forefinger to get an estimate of the size, a relative size. Uh, you know, uh, and you can go from that if you assume a distance and you can get a size and so forth. Uh, but I, I think recording, uh, you know, if you see aliens, uh, what, what were, how were they dressed? How big were they? <laughs> yeah. How did they sound? Uh, the, the standard, it, it's almost a police matter. Record as much information as you can. Uh, you know, I wonder, people who have been abducted, I've never heard anybody come back with something on which there were fingerprints. Wouldn't that be neat? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder if anybody's ever tried to get fingerprints from an alien. I mean, <laughs> not, you know, you don't need to ask him, just grab something he grabbed. Or yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, well, that goes back to the Turn old... on your tape recorder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It goes, goes back to the old conundrum, sort of... Uh, I, I don't know if it was Neil deGrasse Tyson or someone else uh, who says it. I think it might it might be Michael Shermer or someone. I don't know. One of the one of the nasty, noisy negativists is like, well, bring back the toilet seat from a UFO. It's like, 
I don't. <laughs> if they can take you and 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 against your will, they, they they're not you're not gonna they're not gonna let you get off the ship with a, with a toilet seat or something. You know, it seems kind no, of ridiculous. No, I, I think that, that that that's an excuse for not looking at the evidence. Uh, Michael is head of the Skeptic Society. Right, right. And you know, the, when you start pushing the skeptics, uh, they they haven't looked at any of the large scale scientific studies. Uh, they haven't looked at the evidence. They will do their research by proclamation. Well, there aren't any good cases. Well, uh, Ted Phillips in Missouri has collected a few thousand physical trace cases. The last number I had was 80 countries. I don't know how many it is now. Uh, a physical trace is not the same as an eyeball report, you know. Uh, yeah. I've had tests done from soil, from physical trace cases, and... Uh, uh, it's different from the surrounding soil. You get uh, com- comparative samples kind of thing. Right. There is physical evidence, and some of the pictures have been uh, accepted as being genuine in a strange-looking crab flying in the sky. <laughs> and, well, you know, uh, cameras are useful, and sometimes they, a lot of times a picture is inconclusive. Yeah. But some of the pictures, the ones that I show in my lecture, are, are pretty darn decent. Yeah, absolutely. Now, i got to ask you, because this came into my head when you said this just now. When you say the, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, well, it's a great term, actually, but uh, the nasty, noisy negatives, you say they don't do the research. Do you really think, like, that they haven't read these stuff that you're citing, or do you think they've read it and they just – refuse to believe it and, and sort of wave it away with their hands and say that it's faulty numbers or whatever. Like, to me, it's like hearing this, you know, you, let's take somebody, who, who's that idiot? Oh, uh, Bill Nye, the science guy. You know, it's like, so So do you think, like, genuinely, do you think that, like, he hasn't done any research into this and just spouts off at the mouth without having done any of it? or he, Or he actually has, like, looked at it and refuses to believe it? Well... I think it's more the first part. Uh, he, he thinks a real scientist wouldn't look at any of this stuff because it's all garbage and we know what to start with, so why bother? You yeah. Know? I, I think that's the attitude. Wow. Uh, because once you admit that there's some good stuff there, then uh, you're in trouble. Yeah. Because the general argument is there isn't anything good there. Like I say, physical trace cases, they don't talk about them. Yeah. Uh, radar visual sightings? Uh, you know, how are you supposed to fool radar? Uh, that's that's a good technical question, I guess. But uh, And there may be ways, but uh, it takes an advanced civilization to do that. Uh, and people say, well, there aren't any radar cases. Well, there have been a number of them published in scientific journals even. Uh, the RB47 case. Yes, great case. Radar in the sky, radar on the ground, eye, eyeballs in the sky, eyeballs on the ground, you know. These are hard to refute. Yeah. So you think they just don't even bother? I guess that makes sense. It's it's just disheartening because it's like, talk about being intellectually lazy and not curious at all, you know. At least if you're going to go out there and say that UFOs aren't real, at least know the other side's argument and what they're basing their their stuff on. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it it is crazy, and I I don't understand it, but... Uh, I, I say I'm sure it's uh, this. This is, ufology is not not ufology. Ufology <laughs> is not the only field like this. That uh, the debunkers. This has happened in medicine. Uh, 
you know, uh, first you start by saying it's nonsense, then you run a little test. Well, maybe there's something to it. And then finally you run careful tests and, whoops, son of a gun, look at that, new truths. Yeah. And we have plenty of new truths. You know, uh, and I think part of it is that nobody likes to admit that they've made a mistake, especially public statements about making Yeah. And so egos are part of this picture. And astronomers are some of the worst when it comes to this. Uh, look, Carl Sagan and I were classmates for three years. And uh, he did attend my lecture at Cornell. Uh, and he admitted to Alan Hynek that he hadn't had a chance to really look at much data. Hynek was the Air Force consultant for 20 years. Yeah. You'd think that's where he would have started. Uh, where Sagan would have started would be the statements from uh, or the books by people like Hynek. He's a fellow astronomer. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, one problem obviously I can't answer. Carl did do some classified work for the government on consulting. So, you know, I don't know what kind of constraints he was under. That's true, yeah. And he, I, I have to give Carl credit. He probably did more than anybody else that I can think of to get people to think about life out there, you know, cosmos and uh, stuff like that. Right, uh, right. So I, I, I can't knock at all. I'm just saying, as, as far as I could tell from our contacts, personal, direct, uh, he hadn't looked at the evidence in any depth. Yeah, well, that's disappointing, um, but not surprising based on sort of how we've seen no. this all unfold over the years. Um, all right, T. Erickson. He broke the rule and sent three, but I, I'm a big fan of T. Erickson, so I'm going to let him. I'm going to let it fly this time. <laughs> uh, he he wants to know where is the best UFO research taking place. Well, that's an interesting question. We can only talk about the unclassified research because I don't know where the classified research right. is going on. Uh, uh, Mutual UFO Network is getting fancier. They publish a monthly journal. Uh, if they go to my website, they'll see the address from UFON. Publish sightings, there were good reports, and uh, I ran a, I had a column in there for 12 years, and. Uh, I reported there, and uh, they have an annual symposium at which papers are presented, mostly by scientists. Yeah. Uh, and the symposium proceedings, you have to prepare a paper, and the symposium proceedings have all the papers. So that's a good place to find out. And I should add that there are, I think the number is well over 20 PhD theses done about UFOs. Oh, wow. And one of them was press coverage of the subject, and had some strong comments to make about the inadequacy of the press coverage. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You're right because we don't. I mean, like we we were we were in a celebratory mood last year when we talked because uh, the New York Times article had come out, and it's like so oh, yeah. and that, that gave an indication that there was UFO research going on that we don't know about. So it's. We certainly just, was. Yeah. So the best <laughs> UFO research program only spent twenty-two million dollars. That's peanuts. <laughs> yeah, it's twenty percent of what you got back in back when you were doing the nuclear rocket back decades ago. So, so yeah. you know, consider the difference in the money there. Uh, he wants to know also what is the biggest UFO news you have heard about in the last year that didn't get any attention. Well, if it didn't get any attention, how would I know about it? <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I, yeah, that's a tough one. I, I haven't seen any recent opinion polls, uh, but the past ones that I've seen have clearly indicated that uh, there are more people who believe in flying saucers than don't, which is a surprise, right. I think, to most people. Uh, and I, I'm trying to think. I, I don't know of any <laughs> that I know about that other people don't know about. Yeah, um, I mean, I, my job is to cover news, paranormal news, and I, you know, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that, uh, you know, a UFO uh, news that, that came out. Sorry, sorry about that, but uh, I wish I could rattle off. Oh yeah, there were case A, B, and C that nobody has read about because they're classified. But I know them. Nah, <laughs> I don't have access to classified material anymore. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. And the final question he has is: uh, If people say they will believe in UFOs uh, when they fly over the Capitol in Washington D.C., didn't that already happen? And why isn't that played up more by the UFO community? So it's kind of asking, like, why the 1950s D.C. flap wasn't enough to convince people. But I guess since they didn't land on the literally land on the White House lawn, that's yeah. the, that's the deal breaker in a sense. I, I think there was still plenty of room for the debunkers to say, no, nah, no, nah, nothing to it. And people are poor observers, and nothing's going on, and governments can't keep secrets and all the other stupid arguments. Right, right. <laughs> uh, no, so I, I, what can I say? Yes, there were sightings over over the White House, but they didn't land on the White House lawn. I'm not going to say that they did, for no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I, I advanced this idea on, on the last show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it, it's sort of a new idea that I came up with in a sense, where it's like I think, and maybe I'll be interested in your thoughts on this, I feel like that the society has changed so much, and we live in this sort of like very in-the-now world, where it's like, uh, this is sort of an, in reference to, the, there's a lot, a big to-do about the Tic Tac UFO video and the Tic Tac UFO case. I'm sure you've been kind of keeping up the on Navy that. The Navy sort of thing, I think it was. Right, right. That was like, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm probably going to ruffle some feathers because I don't know the exact date. So it was like, let's say it was somewhere between five and ten years ago. So send your hate mail to info at banalofamerica.com. Um but but I guess the point I was trying to make last week or on the last episode was that, um, you know, the big New York Times article last year, it was a game changer. But at the same time, it didn't transform society in a way where it wasn't like that disclosure moment. And I think that no. this idea is that my idea, I guess, in a sense, is like that. You're not going to see that watershed thing happen unless there's a major UFO case that happens in the now. Like that actually like a Stephenville yes. or a, you know, a Stephenville or a Phoenix lights, it has to happen now. Like an old UFO case is not going to, is not going to break the dam open, no matter how good or compelling or fantastic this Tic Tac case was. It happened like five or 10 years ago and it's not going to, you know, it has to happen now. It has to happen right now uh, for people to get up and pay attention. Well, I think most, as I say, I believe uh, nasty, noisy negativists giving me a hard time. I think I've had 11 hecklers in, in over 700 lectures. And you get that many if you talk about sports, religion, politics, etc. So uh, I, I think the public is accepting uh, a couple of things. One, that uh, on occasion governments lie. 
I mean, that's hard to imagine, but uh, I think the public has accepted that notion. Two, that uh, there's probably life all over the place out there. Three, that we haven't been told the whole truth about flying saucers. And four, uh, we don't really care because we've got other things to worry about. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so it's not a big deal now. Uh, if, if we got dead bodies, uh, the aliens killed my wife, or you know that kind <laughs> of thing. Uh, uh, and here's the camera footage to prove it. Uh, aside from that kind, of, in other words, something that portrays a really scary, difficult, uh, hard to accept notion: aliens destroying, uh, you know, ten bodies a day, or you know. You can think of all kinds of science fiction stuff, but uh, unless that happens, uh, you know, a shrug of the shoulders and let, let's get on. I think most people today accept the notion that there's life out there and that governments can lie. Yeah. And that maybe, uh, who cares? I don't care if they tell me what's going on. What difference does it make anyway? You know, and the world seems to be a, a more peaceful place in terms of the Cold War stuff and all yeah, that sort yeah. of thing. You know, mutually assured destruction, a heck of a term for... We've got peace, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, I think you're... I think you hit the nail on the head, too. Uh, you know, I mean, we did... We started this... We started doing these shows 14 years ago, and it was like... I feel like there's a generational shift. At the time, I was hopeful... Yes. I was hopeful that there would be a generational shift where people just sort of accepted that UFOs were real. And that very well may be the case, but it seems like also that there's this sort of resignation uh, in the zeitgeist, if you will, that they're just not going to tell us. Like, that it's just something that we're never going to be told. Like, I think, and instead of, I mean, there are people who are passionate about it and, and are pushing for it and hoping that, you know, they can break this thing open. But I think society is a greater... You know, the greater level of society, mainstream people that who don't have the time to talk about this, who don't who don't have the interest that we do, I think that they're just they just say that that's just the way it is, man. That they the the UFOs are probably real, but the government's not going to tell us for for at some reason, yeah. and they they have to just come to accept that when you know I, and that that just seems to be the case. You know, just even based on yeah. the reaction to the New York Times article a few years ago, it was uh, last year, it was like last people year. just went on with their people just went on with their lives. Yeah. Now, like you were saying, if they bust out some document that's like we had a dead alien and here are the pictures, oh, sure that would change, that would change the game, no doubt. But to me, it's well, like or dead earthlings uh, killed yeah. by aliens that would do it too. <laughs> exactly. Um, but there, but but the you know the the game changers are few and far between. It's not. It's it's a yes. lot harder uh, than than people might imagine. Uh, I agree. Oh, thank you. Um, Jack Brewer, he wants to know, I think we already covered this, but I'll get it on the record. Uh, any comments from Mr. Friedman on the Bob Lazar story being dry cleaned and reworn? I think we we covered that. So <laughs> I just yeah, like. Uh, Bob seems to be a nice guy. I see no reason to believe that he worked on back engineering flying saucers and he wasn't a scientist. And, uh, you know, go from there. There you go. I just like I just like the Turner phrase, uh, getting dry cleaned and reworn. So I wanted to make sure I got that in there. Um, now this one I found really interesting. I'm dying to get into your head on this one. Uh, that UFO guy uh, on Twitter, he wants to know uh, 
What do you make of UAP interfering with nuclear sites and tests, yet not either of the times we actually employed these bombs on humans, not to mention the countless number of tests uh, that we have done in the past? What could explain the change in behavior slash actions? Well, I, I think beings from elsewhere need to know what we're capable of, what we're doing, what are, <laughs> not only our capabilities, but apparently our intentions. There, there are no signs, I don't think, on this planet of Earth preparing an armada to, uh, well, attack Zeta Reticuli, kind right. of thing, one of my favorite places. Uh, that's from the star map in the Betty and Barney Hill case, mm-hmm. and it's described in the book Captured by... Betty's niece, Kathleen Martin, and myself. Uh, and we should give out my address, um, at least my email address. Uh, it takes a moment. FS, which stands for Flying Saucer, <laughs> PHYS, which stands for Physicist, at bellalliant.net. That's B E L L A L I A N T.net. And I do respond to email. I don't have a secretary. It's got some articles on there. I need to update it. I'll grant you my website. But it shows you how to get the books. And I autograph all the books I send out. And there are bargains and deals. And uh, I'll send you a free list of books if you want and so forth. But remember, I live in Canada. (laughs) If you're going to mail me. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, and StantonFriedman.com is the website. So that should be... uh... You know the yeah. folks. The folks listening now—they've heard you for 14 years, so they—they uh, they know how to find you uh, to look for you for yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm not hiding. I've lived in the same house for I don't know 30 some years. <laughs> so you, so you're saying to jump back just to the to the questions. So you're saying sort of like maybe that uh, that they were that that, that 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 they're just trying to get a handle on what what the hell we're capable of. It seems like I mean I kind of in reference to this guy's question, I feel like it's. I, I'm kind of in line with the whole idea that, like, they didn't know we were doing this stuff until we started doing it, and that's kind of what got their attention that there were people here and stuff. You know what I mean? Well, that, that's one theory that, like, the UFO showed up after we started tinkering around with nuclear bombs and stuff. Well, I think there's some good good stuff that's been published about past observations a long time ago. And there's stuff that flying saucers in the Bible by Dr. Barry Dar- uh, What's his name? Downing, D-O-W-N-I-N-G. He's a minister, and uh, he he goes through the Old and New Testaments and uh, finds uh, examples, uh, you know, Ezekiel's wheel, and and there's a whole bunch of uh, stuff that uh, maybe indicates that there were past exhibitions. You know, guys being punished, spend two weeks near Earth, buddy. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> there'd be enough punishment to last a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Mark Lawrence wants to know uh, what's the one thing that convinced you that Ro- that the Roswell incident was real. So when did you when did you say okay, this is we're on to something here? Well, uh, I'll tell you, I, I found out about Roswell in the most unlikely way. I was at a television station in Louisiana. And I was supposed to do three interviews there. The students from the university there uh, uh, had brought me to the station. And the third reporter was late. So the station manager is saying, you know, the guy you ought to talk to uh, is Jesse Marcel. And 
I'm such a brilliant investigator, my re- response was, who's he? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, oh, his, his, next, his answer changed my life. He said uh, he handled wreckage on one of those saucers you're interested in when he was in the military. What? <laughs> what do you know about him? Well, he lives over in Homa. I didn't know where Homa was. I've been there since and to talk to Jesse Marcel and uh, many others. And so we went on. We, I did the interview. The program went very well at the, the college. And the next morning I called information. And for the young people in the audience, that's how we used to get phone numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you didn't go to a computer because you didn't have a computer. <laughs> You'd call information. And the nice thing about talking to an operator is you'd get a number and you'd say, is that in an address? And is that a nice part of town? And they know. <laughs> yeah, They're there. Sure. You, know. <laughs> you can't do that with your computer, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so that was in uh, like 77. And I'd heard some glimmers about a crash saucer and before that. But then Bill Moore and I spent a year, we found 60 people in conjunction with the Roswell incident. And I, I mean, I called Marcel the next day and got his story. And I tried to impress upon him that I had had a clearance for 14 years, you know, that I worked in the nuclear business. Uh, I wasn't just some guy who made a big deal about flying saucers. And we found a lot of witnesses, and a lot of people don't seem to realize that the 509th, which was the military group based in Roswell at the time of the incident, um, was the most elite military group in the entire world. And Jesse Marcel was the intelligence officer for that group. Why do I say they're the most elite? They dropped the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and two more during Operation Crossroads. The only group in the world that had atomic bombs at that time. Uh, you know, and Colonel uh, Blanchard, who was the base commander, went on to be a four-star general and was vice chief of staff of the United States Air Force when he died of a massive heart attack. So we're not talking about dinks here. And to be, Jesse was a pretty sharp guy. Yeah. Uh, And so that was in 77 when I first heard about it. Um. We found William Moore and I found sixty people in the first year, and another thirty in the next year, and a lot more since. And the museum, if you want an idea of how interested people are in UFOs, the International UFO Museum and Research Center in Roswell, New Mexico, yeah, last year had over two hundred and twenty thousand visitors. And frankly, Roswell isn't on the way to anywhere. It's two hundred <laughs> yeah. miles from two hundred miles from uh, El Paso. Uh, 200 miles from Amarillo. So if you're there, it's because you want to be there. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Did you get a chance? You were there uh, this past summer, right? Did you get a chance to go out to the ranch? Because they finally opened it up to the public for the weekend. Well, I'd, I'd been out I'm there. I'm sure once. you've been there, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, anybody who hasn't been to New Mexico uh, must understand that there ain't many people in New Mexico and has a lot of land. <laughs> Which is why the first atomic bomb test was done there, Trinity site. Yeah. Because if something goes wrong, there's nobody around to get clobbered, you know. Uh, like I say, the contrast, I grew up in New Jersey, and 
New Jersey has 8 million people and 8,000 square miles, and New Mexico has over 100,000 square miles and, uh, uh, you know, a million or so people. Uh, big difference in population right. city. So um, the uh, I recommend the museum. It's got a lot of exhibits. I'll expect I'll be there this coming year. It'll be one of my last lectures uh, in, in early July. First week in July is the festival, the Roswell UFO Festival. And uh, it, it's now be prepared for high temperatures, but it yeah. goes off at night because Roswell's at 3,500 feet. And it's not at sea level. <laughs> right. So, Did you see they just got a giant alien statue? Not that I know of. Yeah, I, they did. They I, they put a Dunkin' Donuts in, and they put in a 22-foot-tall sta- alien statue holding a giant Dunkin' Donuts sign. So right on I'll Main Street. Darn. Yeah. I, I've been on Main Street. That's where the museum is. As yeah, yeah. It's on Main Street. Uh, yeah, it's near the museum. Didn't, yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I'll send you the link. I wrote about it for Coast to Coast. I'll, I'll send you the link. Yeah, oh, it's pretty good. cool. It's okay. a pretty cool statue. Um. All right, and the last question we got here came from in the chat room. Uh, Digger Dog wants to know if you have any theory for why UFOs seem to change shape over the last 50 years. Uh, you know how, like, first they were kind of like Foo Fighters, and then they kind of like were flying saucers, and then they became triangles, and the, there have been other shapes in various ways and things. What, why, I guess the question is why do, you, why do you think they've changed shapes over all these years? Well, I think the, uh, several reasons. One, they're probably coming from different places. And they're different models. You know, you got your Boeing and McDonnell Douglas yeah, yeah. <laughs> out there. Uh, and I think uh, di- different beings are coming here for different reasons. Uh, we're, we're probably on a list of developing societies that we'd have, we, the aliens, have to keep track of to make sure that somebody doesn't bushwhack us, you know, right. by developing incredible technology and not the, the the mental attitude not to use it on, on other living beings. We we still think war is a pretty fair game. What's the budget this year and military budget on the planet? A trillion dollars? And how many kids died of starvation? Earth is one of these primitive societies. It hasn't gotten its acts together yet. Yeah. I don't know whether I'll still be around when when it does. I hope it does. I've got a great grandson and uh, eleven years old, and uh, you know, I I hope we do get our act together. But it would be nice to know that uh, yes, advanced high power systems are good, but. Well, let's not kill people with them. Yeah. Now, here's sort of a, I don't know if you'd call it a philosophical question. This is coming from me. Uh, we're done with the listener questions. Thanks to all the folks who submitted questions. Um, like, when you got into this, because I've talked to other people who had this sort of mindset. I had this mindset when I got into this, like, in 2003, um, that, that, that this was the, the, the revelation or the solution to all this was, like, right around the corner. Like, when you got into this, did you figure you'd be sitting here in 2018 and we still would be talking about how we don't know, you know, the answer to all this? I didn't think it was going to be around the corner. I was interested in the puzzle. But remember, I worked on difficult research and development programs, nuclear airplanes, nuclear rockets, nuclear power plants for space. Right. 
and you you don't anticipate oh it'll be over in a while and we'll, we'll take care of it and you know I I never expected that during my lifetime the problem would go away the not knowing what was really going on in other words no official pronouncements from governments yeah but you may have noticed that the governments on this planet seem to have a little trouble getting along very well with each other otherwise <laughs> yeah. why would you spend a trillion dollars a year on things military you know uh and instead of feeding the starving people so uh i i think I didn't know what to expect, but I've been intrigued by the puzzle. Hmm. Uh, you know, how do you get here from there? How do you fly around the atmosphere the way they do? Uh, why doesn't the government do this? Why do certain religions say that? Uh, you know, wh- what are they doing abducting people? Uh, the Betty and Barney Hill case intrigued me. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're picking up specimens, examining them, and throwing them back. <laughs> that's the only way I can look upon it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like a scuba diver looking for an exotic fish or something. Uh, <laughs> am I saying people are fish? No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> you get the idea. Yeah, I understand. So are you okay then? You know, I mean, because I, I think I, you must be because I've reached the point kind of where I'm okay. Sort of like knowing that I may go – I may finish out this journey here on Earth and never find out exactly what this UFO thing is all about. Uh, I, yes. I, you've come to terms with sort of this this yes. issue, if you will? Yeah. I, my, I find that my niche, if you will, my role is to educate, stimulate, excite, intrigue. Uh, and, and that's about it. I'm not leading a crusade. You know, I'm not saying let's attack the White House and make them tell them what's going on. Tell us what's <laughs> or anything like let's get on and let's people be educated and that's okay with me there you go all right well uh yeah so are you gonna have you got started on this autobiography yet we're wrapping it up now i'm just uh sort of wondering you know i'm I'm making notes about incidents i'm trying to think of them as i go along and stories i want to tell and stuff like that uh you know, it's it's not about lobsters. <laughs> that that was part of the education of Stanton Friedman. <laughs> hey man, you're, well you're the only UFO researcher who's had his own holiday special, and now going on 14 years, going on 15 uh, next year we hope. So well, I hope you know, so. Worthy of a okay. worthy of an autobiography, no doubt. Um, and folks can find out about the the very limited speaking engagements uh, next year. Sort of winding winding down what has been just an amazing career, um, you know. And please uh, keep us posted on this autobiography. I would love to read it. If you need someone to write a blurb for the yeah. back, I would be honored. Uh, okay. You know, I've been calling. Let's keep that in mind. <laughs> I've calling for this book for years. Um, I can't thank you enough, Stan. Thank you so much. As I said at the, at the start of the show, I thought, I thought, oh, geez, he's retired. He doesn't want me bothering him to do this. But uh, your enthusiasm. When you picked up the phone last week to set this up, was just it just made my my heart grow uh, three times as big as they say uh, in in the Grinch story. So thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure once again, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing it next year for the 15th year. Why not? Awesome. <laughs> thank you very much. Happy holidays, Dan. You too. Bye bye. Good night. There you go, folks. That was Stanton Friedman with the 14th annual BOA Audio Holiday Special. I cannot even believe it's been 14 years. Uh, Stan asked me when I called him 
last week to set it up, he was like, how long have we been doing this for? I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, let me look. And I was like, 14 years, man. This will be our 14th year. Um, I really can't believe it. And uh, someday I would like to, first of all, someday I'd like to sit down and count the number of questions that we've uh, posed to Stan over the years, because it's got to be well over 100 at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't ask him tonight. I should reach out to him uh sometime soon because I would love to get his blessing to put together a book, uh, you know, called ask Stanton Friedman, where we put all these questions that the listeners, uh, to the program have posed to Stan, uh, over the last, I think we've been doing this for like 10 years now, uh, the questions part. So, you know, I would love to do that someday and, and put that together as a book. Uh, if we could get Stan's blessing, cause, uh, there's a lot of questions that we've asked him over the years, uh, you know, like even tonight when he when we asked him about the uh, what kind of music he likes that we that he said he's never been asked before, and there are some really wild ones from years past, like about Bigfoot and I think Loch Ness monster, all the different, just about every paranormal topic he can think of. I think we've uh, thrown at him over the years, so um, I'd love to sit down and put that together if I ever have the time. And like I said, if Stan will be down for it, uh, we're nearing the end here of the Benaliday season. I can't believe it already. Um, you know, and, and this was the holiday special, Christmas. I think this is like the earliest we've done the holiday special in a long time. And uh, so uh, Christmas is uh, a week away, one week from today. And I want to thank uh, all the folks who sent in questions, James Archer, David McIntyre, James Curley, Kirk Walker, John Randall, Jim Sapp, T. Erickson, Jack Brewer, that UFO guy, Mark Lawrence, and Digger Dog. Excuse me, in the chat room. Uh, yeah, big thanks to all the folks who sent in questions. Thanks to all the folks who tuned in live. Uh, and big thanks, of course, to Stanton Friedman. Uh, really is a great thrill that we got to do it again. I was genuinely uh, concerned that Stan was, was going to be like, hey, you know, I've, I've, I've hung it up, man. I'm, I'm done. So I don't, I'm not doing uh, anything anymore. So it was really a thrill uh, for me when he was like all about it. Uh, when I talked to him last week. And, uh, yeah, I guess on that note, there's not much else to say. i gotta, I got to uh, convene with Greg Bishop to figure out when we're going to do the year in review episode. Uh, I'd say probably, since it's a simulcast, as tradition has become, uh, we'll probably end up doing it on a, on a Saturday, I mean a Sunday, excuse me, uh, when Greg does his show, unless, he, unless he's not free. We'll figure it out. But we'll, we'll have the year in review show for you. Uh, you know, probably in a couple weeks, I guess. So, yeah. And it won't be a double episode, because that wouldn't, like, wipe me out when we did the Saturday, uh, the Sunday and the Tuesday show uh, over the course of, like, two days. That, that like, just completely kicked my ass. Um, so we will, we will not be doing that. And and so we'll we'll be doing one straight shot, maybe maybe longer than two hours. Well, yeah, almost all these shows have been more than two hours here, except for uh, the holiday special. We usually clock in a little a little shorter. Um, but yeah, so I'll have information about that at Banal of America, and I will have it uh, at the Banal of America Facebook page and on Twitter and all the all the places you can find my ramblings. Um, yeah, and on that note. I want to wish everybody uh, a happy holidays, a very Merry Christmas. I hope you all have an awesome time. Uh, as I always say uh, on these holiday specials, it's like it's like this switch gets flipped 
as soon as I hang up the phone, that that yeah, man, it's <laughs> it's really it's really Christmas time, um, and and and, uh, and so we've 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 done our duty here with the holiday special, and I hope everybody, as I said, has a very merry Christmas. Uh, if you don't hear from, yeah, you're probably not going to hear from me before the New Year. So I hope you all have a very happy New Year. Be safe out there. You know, don't don't drink and drive. Don't do anything crazy uh, on Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. Uh, be responsible, folks. And as I said, I hope you all get everything you wanted for Christmas and more. And I hope, uh, you know, you have a joyous day uh, with your friends and family. And uh, celebrate as much as you possibly can. And uh, I guess that's it. You'll be hearing from me in a couple weeks with Greg Bishop on the Year in Review episode. Yeah, and that's it. So stay tuned, folks. Until next time, this is Tim and all wishing you happy holidays and signing off.